I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. So it'll be part 2 of how to apply the word. And we're going to give you some tools that hopefully can in, in, empower you uh, to know what scripture teaches and how to make appropriate application. I share with you that one of the things that's a glaring, I think, uh, hole that's, uh, that's, that, that we see in the body of Christ today is that things that are being taught on a consistent basis aren't necessarily being applied uh, in the lives of believers. Uh, sometimes it's not being applied because of lack of knowledge. In other words, we just don't know. There are certain areas that we may be ignorant of, but there's other areas where we may have knowledge of, but we simply are not putting the word into action. So my goal is to pastor this church is to give each member the tools uh, in concert with the Holy Spirit's revelation knowledge, give you the tools, give me the tools to be able to take a passage of scripture and, and be able to exegete it. In other words, be able to understand what's happening and then be able to get those principles that apply to our lives today so that we can have a plan for putting that word into action. Okay? So if you will, look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and we'll start reading. I'll tell you what, let's back up to uh, let's back up to verse uh, verse number 14 and we'll work our way down. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Who's writing this? Paul, who's he writing it to? Timothy, okay? His young son in the ministry, his pastoring son by the name of Timothy. Timothy was pastoring, and Paul writes this letter to encourage Timothy in his role as the pastor of the church. And so as we get into here, he says in verse number 14, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words, okay? He says, such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Let's read that again. Verse 14, read it out loud with no purpose. It says what? Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who one who does not need to be ashamed and who does what correctly explains the word of truth. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains or rightly divides the word of truth. Okay, so as a born again believer, I need to make sure that. As I come to the Holy Scriptures, I come to the text that I'm happen to be reading or studying, I need to get to the point where first and foremost, I make sure I'm rightly dividing it because proper application, proper biblical application cannot take place if we don't have understanding about what we even studying. Right. Is that correct? So Paul is telling Timothy right here, he says, you know, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Verse 16 for good measure says, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenus and Philetus. I told you all on Sunday, bad news and crazy news spreads real fast, doesn't it? Uh, but uh, and so 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 Paul is warning Timothy to avoid worthless talk argument over, you know, trivial uh 
obscure doctrines that people want to have a philosophical debate about. He says, avoid that worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. He says, as in the case of Hymenus and Philetus, they have left the path to truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all, all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Okay? So what he says is there's some people there, Philemus uh, uh, and, uh, no, Hymenus and Philetus were, were turning people away from the truth by promoting false doctrine. Now, as we get to what we're going to talk about today, what I'm going to begin to do is we're going to hit one part of it tonight, and then next week we hit the other part, uh, something that's called the biblical, the Bible pyramid, which, again, you, you guys know the shape of a pyramid, right? It's like a, sort of like a triangle, if, if you will. And as we go up one side, we're going to look at some points that's going to help us get to the point where we got revelation knowledge of what happened in Scripture. And as we come down next week on the other side, we're going to begin to look at a blueprint for how we apply what we just learned in the Holy Scriptures. Because that's, that's critically important. Uh, I, as a pastor, uh, and uh, it'll be in March, it'll be 30 years of service here at this church, ministering 30 years. And what I've observed over the 30-year period is that many times um, there, there are people who I think, there are some people who, if they knew better, they would do better. Which y'all agree. But there are also some people who know better and don't do better. What I want to make sure as your pastor is, is that, that you will not have any excuse when you get before the beam of judgment seat of Christ and he judges all of us based on how we lived out our faith here in the earth realm. He's not going to judge us whether or not we're going to get to heaven or not because when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, amen, I believe that we, he seals us to the day of redemption. But we'll be judged on how well we did in the earth realm living this Christian faith, okay? So let's talk about some things here that, that I think can help us. Now, we, last week you should have, if you don't have last week outlined, we'll get those to you uh, at your request. But uh, let's look at uh, some ways that we can begin to understand the scripture even more. All Bible study methods, when you begin to study the scripture, have the same three basic stages. Number one, you got to read, right? Uh, you got to comprehend, and we got to apply. Everybody say read, comprehend, and apply. Now, at the read stage, we answer the question, what does this say? When you get into the scripture, you want to know what does this say? Uh, we read a specific passage and try to understand the story, what's happened. That's the first thing, you know, when we start looking at it, you got to read it first. Because I hear people say, well, you know, I read my Bible. It's okay to read your Bible, but just reading your Bible will not get you to the point of application. A lot of folks read their Bible. How many of y'all, come on, how many of y'all will be honest enough with me? I mean, really honest. Really honest enough with me to tell me, that, that on Saturday night, you read your Sunday school lesson. Okay, you read it. Okay. All right. How many? Uh, okay, I got a few hands that went up. Okay, so, so, some of y'all read it before Saturday. Is that what you're telling me? Okay. All right. And so how many of you dig a little deeper than just reading your Sunday school lesson? How many of y'all go beneath the surface? Okay. All right. All right. Good, good, good. 
We read, okay? So reading is very important because I can't ever get to the point of really appropriately applying unless I first of all read, comprehend, then I get to the point of application, okay? So in, in, in the first stage, read stage, we ask, them, what does this say? When, you get to, when you're reading, you're saying, what does this say? If this stage is underemphasized, we will not get much out of the study, okay? And, and, and so we got to make sure that we, we understand what is this saying? What does it actually say? The second thing is, is at the at comprehension stage, I, uh, I got to answer, what does this mean? Okay, I'm going to read it. What does it say? Number two, when I approach a passage, what does it mean? Okay, we look, we look for the biblical principles that transcend time and are transferable. In other words, when I go into this text, I'm reading it, but I want to comprehend what does it mean? Okay. What does it mean for me? People who neglect this stage will run the risk of misinterpreting and therefore misapplying a passage. So I want to, I got, after, after reading it, how many of you ever read a passage and didn't quite comprehend what the passage was saying? Didn't quite get the principle uh, that God wants you to get out of it. I, you know, I think all of us, if we study long enough, we, you know, when you first go to a text, you don't always get it, always get it the first time around, do you? That's why it's important for us to understand that uh, understanding God's word is not just a, uh, a exercise in, in, in intellectual ability. The word of God is understood as the spirit of God gives the revelation. And the word of God and the nuggets and the truths that God wants to pull out of a passage will sometimes require us to do some digging, Brenda. It will, call, it, it will cause for us to, to have some meditation time because one thing that God does not want us to get to the point to where we think that we have knowledge based on how smart we are. The scripture, amen, and God's messages are understood as the Holy Spirit gives the revelation knowledge. Would y'all agree with, with, with me there? As a matter of fact, turn with me right quick and we're going uh, we're, we're to keep moving along here. Uh, go with me to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Okay, First Corinthians, the second chapter. Hallelujah. Let's go, if if you will, uh, to verse number one, and we're gonna we're gonna move down to First Corinthians, chapter number two, and we'll start our reading at verse number one. First Corinthians, glory to God, chapter number two, and we'll begin our reading at verse number one. Y'all there with me? Okay. Let's go. Since when I first came to you, who's writing? Okay, who's he writing to? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm continually asking you these things because this is going to be a part of our Bible study pyramid because we got to ask questions of the text. You want to know who's writing, who's he writing it to? When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. So that's why I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Let's read. Next verse says what? I came to you in weakness, timid and and trembling. Is that what he says? Okay. He says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. In other words, Paul says, you know, I didn't have the gift of oratorical uh, 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 excellence. Paul said, I just, my preaching was plain. I didn't try to use clever, uh, big words. I'm just, I just told it like it was. Okay. He says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Next verse says, I did this so you would trust not 
in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Now, this is this is real important. Guys, sometimes people get enamored with favorite preachers or favorite teachers of the gospel because they have the gift of being able to to articulate and and to express different statements that get people up on their feet. And the danger in getting hooked to a personality or an individual is that you begin to 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 rely on that person's wisdom rather than the Holy Spirit to bring you revelation knowledge. Look at what Paul said this. Go back to verse number four with me right quick. This is real important. He says, and my message and my preaching were very plain, Paul says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches. I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we kind of like, you know, you know, clever speeches in our, in our flow of ministry, right? You know, people can say these catchy phrases, delayed but not denied. That's, a, that's, ooh, that's deep, that's deep, that's deep. Delayed and not denied. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know we, we, we come up with all these catchy phrases and, and, and we think that there's wisdom in that. But Paul says, my message and my preaching were very plain. Paul says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? Verse five. Watch this. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul was saying, I don't want you to trust in in what, what is perceived to be my wisdom, but I want you to trust in the power of God. Verse six. Let's read it. It says, yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world. Or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. Watch this. Paul says the rulers of this world uh, uh, and the wisdom of this world is soon forgotten. Guys, I, I said it before and I said it again. Uh, don't think too highly of yourself. Because one day you're going to leave this earth. And when you leave this earth, when you leave that place of employment, when you leave wherever you, you, you're from, uh, you know, people will soon move on. What, here's what Paul says. I do speak words of wisdom, but not the words, kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rules of this world who are soon forgotten. I don't care how important you think you are. Somebody else going to come along behind you. And I don't care how much people tell you they're going to miss you and they can't go on without you. Die and see. I promise you they will. And I know they, they may halfway mean that when they say that, but we guys, we're, we're just tools and instruments that God uses. I don't think of myself so high that, that, that if, if, if I die tomorrow, the EBC won't continue to go on. Because it's not about me. It's about him. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul says, he says, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. Watch this. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. Have not understood. What is it? Let's back up. Back up. Back up. The verse. It says, no, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood. They didn't understand the wisdom of God. Okay, if they had, they would not have what? They would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Had the had, had the rulers of this world understood the wisdom of God and what God was doing through the crucifixion of His Son on the cross of Calvary, they never would have crucified Jesus. 
Because had they understood Melinda by crucifying Jesus, that you and I would be sitting here saved today, they never would have done that. Satan would not have done that because Satan thought that crucifying Jesus was getting rid of him. But he didn't realize that Jesus came to die for he laid down his life. No man could take it. He laid it down so that you and I could have a personal relationship with the Savior. But the rules of this world had not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Verse 9, let's read. Come on, let's go. It says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who what? For those who love him. Keep reading. It says what? But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. But it was to us. Who is us? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's, he's writing to, to born again believers. For, for believers says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secret. So, okay, his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So when we get into the word of God, understand this. There are some deep secrets here that cannot be understood just by mental intellect. It is the Holy Spirit that imparts wisdom to us. Okay, so don't get enamored with a person who can speak real good and get everybody up on their feet. That's good. If, and, and, and sometimes they can speak so well... It, it don't even have to be any anointing on it. It just sounds good. You want to rely on the Holy Spirit to give you and to show you God's deep secrets, not your mental intellect. But at the same time, when you go to study the word of God, there is a there is a way to, to dig into the scripture so that we can get comprehension so we can have proper application because we, we're talking about how to apply God's word. Is that correct? Amen. We've talked about how to apply God's word. And that's what we want to get to the point in our life uh, to be able to apply. Look at, look at verse number 11 right quick. 11 and 12 it says what? No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. Would y'all agree with that? Let's read that again. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's what? How many of y'all are married to people who think they can read your mind sometimes? Anybody in the house? Huh? No, no one. This y'all didn't raise your hands on that. How many of y'all? How many of y'all think you know what the, your spouse gonna say before your spouse ever says what they're gonna say? And sometimes you'll sometimes sometimes uh, you, and you jump in before they even finish saying what they're saying, thinking you know what they're saying, but you may not know what they're saying, even though you think you know what they're saying. Did y'all follow that? All right. I wasn't saying a whole bunch of anything except that you don't know what's real on the inside. See, that, see, sometimes you can hear that kind of stuff. You're like, ooh, that was deep. I ain't really say nothing. <laughs> All I was doing was just letting you know that no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except what? God's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. I've, I've said this countless, countless, countless numbers of times, is that sometimes we don't know where people really are until they open their mouth and tell us where they really are. You think they're going along. You think they got it. You think that it's embedded in them. You think they've, they've hit in their hearts. But then when you get to talk to them, you begin to understand that they don't really grasp what God's word is saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? Speak. And the mouth, and the mouth speaking will tell you what's in that person's heart. Watch this. Look, look at verse number 12. 
And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So God, God gives us his spirit. He fills us with the spirit and his Holy Spirit will give us revelation knowledge. So, so get back to our outline right quick. So, again, three basic stages. Read, comprehend, and apply. Okay? At the apply stage, we answer, what should I do? Okay? We personalize the truths and think about how to live them out. Now, neglecting this stage leads to false beliefs with insights from the Bible study making little or no difference in a person's life. Okay? When we, when, whenever we uh, uh, we get to this, if we neglect this, this what should I do stage, then really uh, the, the whole point of coming here becomes null and void. Okay? If any of these stages is missing, we will not fully understand and obey what the Bible teaches. We got to read, comprehend, and then apply. Okay? So now let's look at this right quick. All right. So as we get into the outline, uh, when we study a passage in the scripture, we begin in a historical, real-life situation where God was working with and speaking to specific human beings. Is that correct? Okay. Now, just like just like this, um, when I, you know, go, go to First Corinthians, the third third chapter, right quick. First Corinthians, chapter number three, real quick. We begin in a historical real life situation where God was working with and speaking to specific human beings. Now we understand and we know that men wrote as the Holy Spirit gave the inspiration. Is that correct? And now we have the canonization of scriptures where those letters that God wanted included in the Bible have been have been have been sealed together to give us his holy word. Now when we look at first Corinthians the third chapter uh, look at verse number one right quick, and let's just do just a little brief exercise, right? All right, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world and, or as though you were infants in the Christian life. Paul says, uh, there's some stuff I want to tell you, but I can't tell you because you still like babies. How many of y'all grew up in an age where, 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 where it was said, Stay out of grown people's business. Uh, if grown people were talking, you as a child couldn't just run up in there and interrupt the conversation. Anybody remember that? All right, now watch this. So, so when we look at this, if I first read this, the first thing, I, even before I get to this third chapter, when I come to the text, the first thing I want to know is who's writing it? Okay? I, I, I need to know that. And then I, what is he saying right here? Because I'm reading this. And, and, and Deborah uh, succinctly gave us a, a synopsis of what he was saying. He says, you know, I can't talk to you the way I want to talk to you because you, you, you're acting like babies, right? So I need to know that if I'm going to ever get to the point to, to figure out what the scripture is trying to get me to apply in my life, okay? Is everybody still with me? All right, so, so let's go to the next verse right quick. It says, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still are not ready, okay? You still are not ready. Now, uh, as we get down through here, uh, I said the three basic things that has to take place when we climb in this pyramid of Bible study, reading, comprehending, and applying. But 
when you think about that, those are some pretty big steps. And, and, and it, whenever you get ready to get to the point where you're trying to understand the application stage, uh, sometimes when you got a, a, a big job of, uh, to do, you have to break it down into smaller parts. Is that correct? Uh, and if there's if there's if there's a big event, you got to take it and, and, and break it down so that you can get little steps accomplished. Uh, how many of y'all know that? OK, if, uh, how many of y'all had a wedding, a church wedding, get a church wedding? All right. Uh, when you first decided you're going to get married, uh, everybody's going, you yay, wonderful, good, awesome. Oh, we're so happy. Grandbabies are coming and all that kind of good stuff. Right. All right. But if you're going to put that wedding together, how many of y'all know that's a daunting task? Is that correct? And what most people will do is, is they will get someone to help coordinate the wedding. Is that right? Because you got all kinds of things that go into it. And, 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 and thank God for good weddings and big weddings and that type of thing. Uh, but, but there's a lot that goes into it. So in order to, to make it go off right, you got to break it up in parts. You got to take it one step at a time, right? You know, reserving the place you're going to have that and, and on down the line, doing all the different things that help bring that thing together. Because we know once you say we want to get married, then you have to go from saying I want to get married to walking down the aisle and everybody's dressed nice and, you know, and you got reception food and all this kind of stuff that had to go into it. So you had to break it up into little parts. So, well, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, I think, you know, we have to make sure that, okay, we're going to read, we're going to comprehend, we're going to apply. But what are those small steps to help, help us get those big steps accomplished? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it up and begin to talk about those smaller steps that can help us get to the point to where we can recognize what we're, what we're reading and then begin to comprehend it so that we can ultimately apply it, okay? Now, tonight, we're going to get to that point where we can try to see what, what, what areas do we need to look at, and we're going to practice a little bit tonight, if, that, if y'all will, okay? So, what are the small steps that we're going to take? First of all, when you get ready to read a passage, all right, when you get ready to read a passage, we start with who's in the text, all right? Who's in the text? Let's go, let's do something right quick. Uh, go to Exodus 13 with me right quick. Exodus chapter number 13. One of the reasons why people is the first step is because it's usually easy to identify the people in a passage, right? Simply by reading the text in most cases. Now, so, there are some texts like in Proverbs or, or, or even sometimes in some passages in the book of Romans where we don't name a specific person, but you know that there's a group of people that, that are observing this text and uh, would have had an opportunity to read what was written. Okay, so Exodus 13, go to verse number one. Exodus chapter number 13. Okay, then the Lord said to Moses, so first of all, right quick, we know one person in here is whom? Who? Moses, all right? Then the Lord said to Moses, uh, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to, be, offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. So we got Moses and we got who else in here? Well, the Lord is there, yeah, but who else is in here? Right here. First born among the Israelites. So if I'm reading this, if I didn't know anything about the Bible and you took me to this passage and, and, and you told me to identify who all is in this passage up to this point. You see Moses. You see the Lord, and I need to know, okay, firstborn among, who are the Israelites? 
That's the, that's the first question I'm about to ask is, is who, are they, who are the Israelites? You name Moses, you name the Lord, but who are the Israelites? The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. Look at the next verse right quick. It says, so Moses said to the people, this is a day to remember forever, the day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. Remember, eat no food containing yeast. So right there we see Moses, we see the Lord, and we see uh, Israel. Okay? We also see that the Israelites, we also know that they left Egypt. If they left Egypt, there were some people in Egypt, so we know some Egyptians were involved. Right? So when I started reading a passage, when I try to discover what people are in the text, I got to go through and begin to ask questions of the text. Okay? Y'all with me? The key characters are Moses, the nation of Israel. And if you go and read on down, you'll read about Pharaoh. You'll also uh, mention uh, later on in this chapter is the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, Joseph, and Israel's sons. Uh, so, so, and then, of course, God is involved. So you, as you go through the chapter, you begin to pick out everybody who's involved. Who are the people in the text? That's the first step that we want to get to. Go with me to Acts the third chapter right quick. Acts chapter number three, starting at verse number one. When we get ready to study the Bible, we should identify the people and learn something about them. Okay? Learn something about them. Acts chapter 3, verse number 1 says, all right, let's go through. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Because we got two people right there, Peter and John. If I didn't know anything about the Bible, the first thing I want to know is, who is Peter and John? What were their roles? Okay, got to ask that. Well, how do I find that? Well, through scripture, but also uh, there are, there are, there are uh, uh, study helps that can help us to understand even some of the cultural nuances that were in this time that the scripture was written that we wouldn't have any idea about because we're living here in the years 2019. So I, I, I need to make sure I get me some study helps to make sure I understand uh, any of those cultural nuances. But we start out by identifying people here. The text says Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon take part in three o'clock prayer service. Verse number two, let's read. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. So now I got another person here. I got Peter and John, but I also have a lame man who was lame from birth, right? He was born that way. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Look at the next verse, let's read. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Verse number four says, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. All right? Next verse says, but Peter says, I don't have any silver gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, we know, again, we see here Peter and John. We see the lame man. But how did the lame man get there? Somebody carried him and brought him there to the gate. Now, if they carried him and brought him to the gate, those are some people, too, we want to try to get some understanding about. So those people who carried him were people in the text. So you see what we got to do every time we get ready to get to the scripture, if we're going to start with who was in the text, name the people, okay? And in, in, in addition to identifying the people in the passage, it's important to identify with the people, okay? And that, that'll help us with both interpretation and application, okay? In fact, at every step... As we go up this pyramid, we should ask, 
identification question. Okay, we got Peter and John, and we got the people who brought the lame man, and we got the lame man. What was their situation? What were their circumstances? How can I begin to dig and find out what was going on at that particular point in time? What was the culture? Was this a common thing for people who were who were lame to be brought to this gate? Obviously, if you study it, you're going to find out that, that was a very common practice. So I need to understand first and foremost, who are the people uh, in the text that I'm getting ready to study? So here are questions to ask when identifying the people in a passage and identifying with them. Number one, we want to ask, who are all the people in this passage? How are these people like people in my world? And what characteristics in myself do I see represented in these people? Those are three questions we need to ask when we find out who's in the text, first of all. Is everybody still following me now? Okay, let's go to the next one. So the first thing is we're going to find out who's involved. Next thing we're going to look at, where are they? The place, okay? The place. This step helps to put the passage in its original setting, the historical and cultural context. You got to know the historical context in the, in the setting in which that passage was written. Now, you guys remember we did the series Scandalous, an inside look at the Corinthian church, right? It was a robust city. Economically, it meant they were off the chain. The economy was doing well, and, and, but they were doing a lot of sinful things, especially uh, in the church. Okay, y'all got me? Uh, we also discovered that uh, uh, there were different groups of people who, who, who congregated in this metropolitan city. Okay, People from all different uh, cultural backgrounds that were coming together and meshing in Corinth. All right. We also know uh, in looking at Corinth that that they had the, the temple of uh, Aphrodite that was there. OK. And so those things influenced the people in that culture. And a lot of people in the church at Corinth uh, were facing some stuff. They, they, they were spiritually immature, as, as, you, as, as Deborah told us earlier. OK. So uh, the place Corinth and wh- where that letter was written to is very important to our understanding. OK. We can learn about place. In, 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 with, a, with a good study Bible or commentary to tell us a little bit about that background because automatically you wouldn't necessarily know that. Now, if, if there was a letter written to the folks in Benton, and if you're from Benton, you probably know something about the cultural makeup and the economic position of Benton, wouldn't you? I mean, how many of y'all live in Benton? How many of y'all grew up in Benton? Right? Uh, you would probably know something about that. But there are certain places, a lot of places you didn't go to, had never visited, you may not know anything about the place. So you got to dig and find a, a resource to a, a good Bible, study Bible or commentary that can help you look, look up uh, the, the, the nuances of that particular place that is, is, is identified in the text. OK, uh, knowing about the city of Corinth will help illuminate that passage uh, when you begin to read First Corinthians. OK, is everybody still with me? The more you know about the culture, the more you know about the history and the problems of that people uh, in that passage, the more we, you'll be able to find parallels to our lives today. So it's important for us to know about the place, what's written. OK, so what are the three questions that we said we're going to ask when it comes to identifying the place? What are those three questions? One was what? Huh? What is the setting of this passage? OK, you got to understand that. Number two, what? What are the significant details in the history, culture, and geography? And thirdly, what are the similarities to my world? When you look at Corinth, how is that similar to the society we're living in today? When it comes to application, 
All right, we're going to see what God said about the people in that place at that time. Because if, in order for us to really apply the word of God to our life, we need to get that good understanding. But I want you know, how many of us really go through this process when we're studying our Bible or we just read? See, that's the problem that we've had. You, you don't have to be a, 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 a have a doctorate in theology to just ask these questions that we're asking. How many of y'all ask questions of stuff you read just in normal everyday life? How many of y'all ask questions of stuff you read on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter? You want to know, well, who, who did she sleep with? Huh? We start asking questions when we read about something. If there's a, if there's a breaking news headline that comes up, uh, you know, local pastor or local uh, mayor uh, did whatever or, uh, you know, has a challenge. The first thing we want to know, we start asking, what's the challenge? And who challenged him? And what did he do? And who did he do it with? See, when it comes to studying the Bible, we got to become detectives of the text. We got to get so curious about the text and start asking, asking all kind of nosy questions. Here's, a, here's your opportunity to be nosy. When you're studying the Bible, when you're studying for your Sunday school lesson, get nosy and ask questions of the text. So we, go, we look at the people who are involved, the place, and then the third thing is we see the plot. The plot. Everybody say the plot. The, the, the third step of our climb up this, this Bible pyramid is, is to consider the plot of that passage. The plot answers what's happening. In other words, we should be looking for what is going on among people or between God and people. And usually we can discover this by the context of the passage and the book. Okay, a good study Bible or commentary will also help us to understand the plot that's going on. Okay, y'all know the plot is right. What's the storyline? What what's actually happening? We see in Corinth what was happening. They were spiritually immature, and because of their spiritual immaturity. Uh, the church was allowing uh, a lot of stuff going on that was not healthy spiritually. There's a lot of sin going on in the church because of the immaturity of the believers in the church. Not everybody, but but they had a great percentage of them that were that were immature. So what's, we got to ask the question: What is going on? What's the plot in this uh, in this passage of scripture that I'm reading? So the questions to ask for the plot are: What is happening in this passage? What is the conflict or the tension that's going on? What would I have done in this situation? And how is this similar to what is happening in my life or in the world today? Those are the kind of questions we got to begin to ask. Okay, everybody with me? All right, so we got people, we got what? Place, and we got what? We got what? Plot, okay? What is going on? See, when I go to the text, I need to understand the plot. What is happening in that text? What's the storyline, okay? And so... The, the, this gets me to a level where I can comprehend what is being said. So, what's the so so as it relates to the plot? What 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 four questions we're going to ask ourselves? What's happening in this passage? What's the conflict of the tension? What would I have done in this situation? And how is this similar to what is happening in my life or in the world today? Okay, I got to ask those questions because if you were there amongst the millions of Israelites. Would you have been one of the ones who said, you know what? I know y'all talking a lot of noise about 
uh, we grasshopper. But you know what? God promised me, so I'm going over there. Would you have been one of those ones or would you have followed the 10 leaders, amen, who were the majority who said we can't take it? All right. So we've got to start asking ourselves these questions. So uh, how is this similar to what is happening in my life or in the world today? OK, those. Uh, so so the fourth thing, the point, everybody say the point. Before we can determine what something in the Bible means for us today, we must first ascertain the meaning for the original audience. OK, the events recorded in the Bible happened to real people at specific times in history. Real audiences heard the parables and real churches received the epistles from Paul and some others. Therefore, we should carefully consider the cultural context, okay, what we learn from the people placed in the plot, okay, to find the particular lesson that God wanted to teach those people. In effect, the point was the application for the original audience. What was the application for the original audience as it relates to what God told the children of Israel, okay? So to determine the point, we, we can ask, what was the intended message for the original audience? Because we saw that, look at Corinthians. We saw that. What did the people in the passage learn and what did God want them to do? What was God's solution to the problem? Okay. Okay. Say, for instance, how many of y'all ever heard of people who, um, uh, in, in, in an extreme measure, they've, uh, they've taken scripture totally out of context and you remember, go, go to Matthew, the fifth chapter right quick and Verse number 29. Watch this right quick. There's some people who are, who are religious zealots who tried to cut off their hand or gouge their eye out, thinking that they was applying what Jesus said in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Look at Matthew 5, verse number 29. 30 says, so if your eye, even your good eye, caused you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse number 30. Read. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, did Jesus really mean that we should mutilate ourselves as a means of holy living? Did Jesus expect his original listeners to apply his message that way and suddenly cut off their hand? A poke out their eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet that that's not what he's really meant. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I know that's not what he really meant. Amen. Jesus used an extreme example or what we call a hyperbole or an overstatement to teach that avoiding sin may demand some painful sacrifice. That's what he's trying to tell them. Avoiding sin may demand some painful sacrifice. Amen. Because, uh, you know, uh, even go back to when we talk about Corinth and Corinth. Okay, for example, in First Corinthians the eighth chapter, verse number thirteen, which says, "Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall." Do you think Paul was telling us to be vegetarians? Huh? Now, there's some people who take that to be extreme. Say, "I don't eat any meat because if you know if if, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble and fall, I ain't gonna ever eat meat again." What Paul was dealing with there was, he, he was saying, as, as mature believers, we know we can eat meat that's been offered unto idols. Y'all know this story. We know the background. But, but, but if, if eating that meat causes my brother's stomach, I'm going to refrain from eating that meat. He was not saying that you got to be a vegetarian. But if I don't understand how to apply word, 
I could take that to the extreme and say it's wrong to eat meat. Y'all follow me here? Okay. All right. So, so we got, we got number one, we got what? Identify the people. Number two, what? Uh, it's on your paper. <laughs> one, the place. Third, what? The plot. Fourth, what? The point. And five, the principles that are involved. After finding the point, the meaning for the original audience, our next step is to determine what transferable principles are embedded in that passage for you and I today. This step, uh, you know, is one that we got to take great care to, to begin to, to, to get into. The distinction between the point and the principles can sometimes be easy to miss because they, they, they're really closely related. But when it comes to surf, bringing those principles to the surface, three questions we got to ask ourselves. What is the message for all of humankind? What are the timeless truths that are in that passage? You can read about the Israelites and, and none of us were in slavery in Egypt. None of us had to cross the Red Sea. But those there are some timeless truths that are embedded in those stories, in, those, in, in, that, in, that, in that biblical account of what happened to the nation of Israel that can be applied to our lives today. What are those principles? You follow me? None of, you know, there, there, are, there are things that happen in the context of the scripture that, that we're not facing today, but there are some principles that we can pull out of there and begin to apply to our life. What are the time to choose and what is the moral of that story that we're, that we're going through? Five things we've covered tonight is what? Number one is what? Identify the people, the place, the plot, the point, and the principles. Okay, and next week we'll pick up and give you, take you to the point of, of, of application of plan to apply that scripture to your individual life. Amen?